You're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. For this week's episode, Hannah sat down with Stephanie McCullough from Sophia Financial. Stephanie was a career changer almost 20 years ago and has an interesting perspective on the profession. We hope you enjoy her insights on working with women clients and the difficulties of working alongside your family. Now here's your host, Hannah Moore, a CFP and the owner of Guiding Wealth Management. Well, thanks for joining us today, Stephanie. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So how did you get into the financial services profession? Well, I kind of chuckle when people ask me because I grew up not wanting to become my parents, not wanting to do what my father did, which was sell investments and insurance. And that's exactly what I've become. I live in the same township where I grew up. I work with my father. <laughs> so it was kind of a roundabout journey. But my husband and I had been married for about five years. We were living in Washington, D.C. And we started to think, oh, it might be nice to have a family. And gosh, if we had a family, it might be nice to be near the grandparents. And both his parents and my parents live outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. So literally, we just started having that thought, and then he got a job offer from a good firm in Philadelphia. We're like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, the universe is pointing us this direction. So I thought, what can I do? You know, what kind of job could I find? And I was doing totally different things when I worked in Washington. And I thought, well, maybe I could go work with my father and promote the kind of services he does to my contacts in the telecommunications industry, which is where I was at the time. So I made this big proposal and I presented it to him. And I, I think I didn't have to do any of that work because he was like, I'm imagining in his head, he's thinking, one of my children is interested in the business. Yes. So probably as soon as I said, you know, Hey dad, I had this idea. He tuned out the rest and was going, yippee. Um, so that was, 20 years ago this year that we moved back to the Philadelphia area. And yeah, I mean, I kind of didn't know what I was getting into. You know, I had to get all my licenses. Um, We have a broker dealer relationship. So I had to get on my series seven and 65 for the RIA and all my life and health insurance because we sell life insurance and disability and long-term care. So, you know, there was a lot of that. Um, And fortunately, we had enough corporate clients, meaning retirement plans. And then my father really specialized in deferred compensation, executive benefits for corporations. I was kept busy doing kind of the enrollment and education of participants in those plans. So I didn't have to do the sales stuff, which was great for me, but I could sit down with people one-on-one and have those conversations about, you know, what was going on in their lives, how the money stuff fit in how this particular program that we were talking about fit into that and really, you know, provide something of value, which was a continuation of what I felt like I was doing when I worked in Washington. I worked for the federal government for about five years. And the best part of the job was people would say, oh, this is great information. Thanks so much. What do I owe you? And I would say nothing. Your tax dollars at work. And I kind of wanted from that point on to be a nonprofit and not have to charge anybody any money ever. (laughs) wouldn't that be nice (laughs) right because I was so uncomfortable with that conversation so yeah 
in the beginning, it was, it was really a nice introduction for me because I got to learn all the content, have a lot of conversations, but I wasn't having to do any sales. Well, you know, this is really interesting because I think that that's such a great career path. There's so many, well, not so many, but I see job opportunities of somebody going into, you know, that 401k education, like one-on-one with people. I mean, do you view that as kind of a good entry into the industry? Oh my gosh. It was so great. Um, for quite a few years, my main responsibility was taking care of a hospital retirement plan. I mean, soup to nuts from the you know plan reviews and the uh, fiduciary um, information to meeting with all the employees from the COO down to the people who cleaned the rooms and just, you know, having those one-on-one conversations and kind of being on the spot, um, facing people's real fears and concerns, um, trying to explain things in a clear way to them, but without talking down to people. I thought it was a great training. So is that what you're still doing now or how has your role changed over the years? Yeah. So I really went through this kind of whole crisis because, um, you know, a couple years in, I had been thinking, okay, you know, I'll come in, I'll be the second generation, you know, eventually take over dad's business. Um, but I really saw the big differences between myself and my father. I mean, for one, he has an MBA from Wharton and I do not. Um, he's also just a natural born salesperson and not in a slimy way, like in a real kind of genuine way. But at the same time, he's always selling. And I'm so not that. Um, I always joke that I didn't inherit the sales gene. My brother did. So I was like, okay, I don't have an MBA and I can't sell. Therefore, I cannot be in this industry. So I really was worried. And I actually sat down at a networking event next to an executive coach. And, you know, he was telling me what he did. And I kind of was, you know, going through this crisis in my head. So I ended up working with him for a couple of years, kind of circling around like, all right, if I don't think I can do this job because I'm not suited for it, at least, you know, in my mind, what I thought suited for it meant, then what else can I do? And I really, after, I mean, it took a couple of years, but I circled back around to, you know what? There are facets of my personality and the things I enjoy doing that fit really well with this business, with this career. And there are people who appreciate the way that I approach it, which is much more of a listening, asking lots of questions, and then, you know, trying to explain in a clear way, not the sales stuff, not the high fancy falutin, you know, MBA type stuff. Um, so that was a really helpful exploration because my only experience in the industry was with my father, kind of that was my only model, but I'd gone out to industry conferences and that kind of stuff. And I did see some other folks um, I actually did some training with the George Kinder Institute, the life planning, and that really kind of set the bells off for me. It's like, oh, we could have a whole different conversation about money. And it really resonates with folks and connects to their lives much more um, meaningfully than, you know, let's beat the S&P 500. I mean, the people I tend to run into and talk to, that's not their prime motivation. That's not interesting to them. So, you know, these things were going on. And then at the hospital, which was my prime, both source of income and um, kind of obligation from a time perspective, they had a consultant that came in 
at the behest of the board and like cleaned house, let go of all the executives and in the middle of one of the plan review meetings, let go of us too. <laughs> I was like, why'd you wait until 45 minutes into the meeting to let us know that we were fired? <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. Now I really have to, to get out there and start, you know, doing something um, to bring in some more business. And the interesting thing about the hospital is, as you can imagine, like 85% of the employees were women because you have obviously tons of nurses, tons of support staff, you know, house cleaning staff, people who work in the kitchens. A lot of these folks, a lot of these industries or uh, careers are primarily women's careers. And there were some women executives, not too many. Um, but I just saw over and over again um, a real need to address women's feeling of discomfort around money and investments. Um, so that's, that's kind of the path I went down. I started up my own practice um, about five years ago, five, six years ago now, and really focused on working with professional women and aligning their money with their values. That's, that's what really turns me on about the work. So do you still work with your dad then in his practice? Yeah, I'm, I'm part of his RIA. So I haven't had to start my own RIA, which is lovely. Um, and there is, you know, staff here in the office. We have operations and compliance. Um, but I really, you know, I'm doing my own thing, but haven't had to, to start my own infrastructure. I'm not sure how long that'll last. Oh. I think eventually I'll have to go down that road. But for now, that's where I am. So how long were you working at the hospital at the 401k as like the 401k service provider? We started out with them doing an executive compensation plan. And then it was back, you know, when they had these non-ERISA 403Bs so they could have multiple providers. So we became one of 22 providers. And then they went to an ERISA plan with a single provider. That was probably maybe 2005. It was probably a good five years. That that was my primary um, activity. Well, I just like that perspective of how long you know people are in roles to really yeah. give them kind of that launching pad. I even had a couple of employees of the hospital who said, "Oh, you know, I have this old IRA and I really need help. You know, would you please be my advisor on it?" And I would turn them away <laughs> and be like, "No, no, you can go to Vanguard. You don't have to pay me. You'll be fine." I had so little confidence in my ability to, you know kind of give people direction that I sent people away. So, okay, let's talk about that because I think that's a really big theme that I see. I mean, I've seen it in myself even. What kind of helped you make that change? You know, I mean, part of it was time. I did have that that blessing of having all that time, you know, where I didn't have to kind of sink or swim in the industry. Um I was having conversations and really kind of the most nerve wracking conversations to me were with the big high powered, um, surgeons, you know, that came off as so blustery and so, um, you know, overconfident and they would ask me questions and I would get kind of intimidated. And then, you know, after a while I realized, you know what, either I can answer their questions or I can tell them that they're asking the wrong question or I'll just get back to them. You know, I'll tell them, Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to look into that and get you an answer. And those were all fine answers. Um, and really, you know, realizing that while they have an expertise in their field, they didn't necessarily have an expertise in my field. 
I, you know, definitely did have something to offer and a level of knowledge that was useful to people. And I think also that, you know, I didn't have to convince everyone, right? They, they could pick their own funds in the 403B and not worry about me. Um, you know, kind of that realization that not everyone has to like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I just was flipping through a Series 65 study book the other day, and I was like, holy cow, like I know a lot more than I give myself credit for. Good. <laughs> oh. So – I want to touch on the family office dynamics. So you're working with your dad. I'm sure that there's a lot of unique challenges that that brought. So if anybody who's listening, who's either considering working with their family or are currently working with their family, I mean, what did you learn through that experience or what advice would you give to them? Oh yeah. Reach out to me, please. Whenever I meet someone who works with family, I was like, we got to get together and have coffee or drinks. (laughs) People say, oh, that must be so great. And I'm thinking, oh, you've never worked with family, have you? <laughs> I mean, it is good. You know, it's good. And it, then it has its challenges. I feel like it certainly has its challenges in terms of the other staff. I mean, when I came in there, it's staff that had been here for 10 years. Um, so I really felt like I had to earn their trust and confidence as well as, or probably more than my father. You know, he kind of gave me the benefit of the doubt. Whereas these other folks were skeptical and maybe felt a little threatened. So I worked really hard to, you know, kind of cultivate um, a trusted relationship with those folks. That even served to kind of further emphasize my tendency to not speak and offer too many opinions until I really kind of knew what I was talking about. So, yeah, interactions with the other staff is one thing. Um, Interactions with Clients is interesting. I mean, it has been nice that when clients say to my father, oh, well, you know, you're getting a little older now. You know, what is your succession plan? He can point to me and smile. Um, But pointing to me and smiling is not actually a succession plan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I finally realized when I started my own practice I realized that instead of trying to kind of shadow him and and work with his clients and do the same things that he did, I was going to be a lot happier and more fulfilled doing things my way and kind of starting my own thing. So while I've had the nice platform to do that, building my own thing has definitely been the right choice for me. And I think that's so important. I always talk about that greater narrative in your career. Like a succession plan isn't your career plan. Like it has to be bigger. You have to have a bigger mission or purpose or like you did, you saw that need. Right. Right. So one of the things that you mentioned was going through the kinder training and I'm a huge fan of kinder. I haven't gone through the training myself, but I've heard such amazing things about it. And for the listeners, can you give me a summary of kinder? Maybe you're probably better better at doing that. But you can give me a summary of that. And then how do you incorporate kinder into your practice? Yeah. You know, I did one of his five-day trainings in Philadelphia. I never, I've never actually gotten to meet him, but I certainly have heard him speak numerous times. He actually came to the FPA Philadelphia um, retreat one time years ago, and that was great. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I'm not certified. I haven't done his full training, but I 
feel like I took quite a bit of the essence of it. So it really is, you know, I think he's considered the father of life planning, which, you know, is financial planning, but it really focuses first on, you know, what that person wants to achieve in their life. What is most important to them? Who's most important to them? Um, and really, um, you know, kind of, he's really interesting in the way he tries to get at, um, you know, not just how do we build this for the future and how do we save enough money so you could do that stuff in the future. But if you tell me something's important to you, how can I help you see that maybe you can actually have more of that in your life right now? So it's not all about maximizing wealth so much as maximizing the quality of your life. And I've really appreciated kind of that as well. So how it's informed kind of my planning process is that if someone signs up for my full kind of planning program, which is a flat fee for usually about five meetings, I, we don't talk about dollars and cents until meeting three. I don't have them do the questionnaire ahead of time, filling out all of their assets and all of that stuff. In my experience, at least for the people I work with, homework projects like that tend to stymie them and then they put it off and put it off and we never get started. So first meeting, I you know try to get at their values and really what drives them, what they want their life to look like. Second meeting, I dig into their money history. How was money treated in your family growing up? What lessons did you learn from your parents? Either, you know, unwittingly or intentionally on, on the parents' part. Um, you know, where what has money, what role has it played in your relationships, in your career, that kind of stuff. And people often ask me, why are we talking about this? Um, and really to me, it's, it gets at the frustration that financial planners might have when they come up with this big, beautiful, thick financial plan and plop it on the desk in front of a client. And then the client doesn't do it. You know, hey, you've got all the answers right there. Just follow the plan. But really it gets at the human stuff. Um, you know, maybe they always get anxious when they, um, you know, have to face some of these decisions or maybe their tendency is, you know, not to invest, to, to stash it all in a savings account because of the lessons their grandmother taught them. You know, who knows? I feel like if we can surface some of those patterns and some of those maybe unconscious issues before we get to the actual plan, we can together come up with strategies that might actually work and also, you know, how to deal with, with things when they come up because things are going to come up. So if we can think ahead of time and if I'm informed, I can say, oh, remember, you know, you've told me that that's been an issue for, for you in the past. So why don't we think about it this way instead or reframe it or, you know, that that's, it's been, it's been helpful. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that I've, you know, I certainly don't pretend to follow Kinder's process exactly, but it was really kind of seminal in, in putting together how I think about engaging with clients. I heard somebody once say that uh, life planning is financial planning done well. Exactly. That, I mean, in my opinion, I don't see how I can give people advice about their money until I really know what it's for. Money is just a tool. What is it supposed to be doing for you? Absolutely. So 
I'd love to talk about your client process because I'm so fascinated by how different advisors approach financial planning and really getting into the details of like, how do we do it? Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to talk about what it is, but that and that conversation is great, but I think there's a lot missing in the how we do what we do. So you went through, you said there's five meetings and you said, you know, values, money history. Yep. Can you walk me through like what else the client experiences? Yeah. So after those first two meetings, I put together a discovery letter, which really kind of tries to put pretty concisely on paper what I've heard them say is most important to them, what they're trying to number one, get out of their engagement with me, but also, you know, what they're trying to create. And I send that to the client looking for confirmation. You know, is this right? Am I, was I hearing you right? And did I miss anything? Um, and then we get together and we do the numbers. So really it seems to be easiest just to say, bring all the paper <laughs> or bring all the logins and we'll assemble it together. Um, you know, and sometimes that means calling the annuity company of that annuity that somebody sold them five years ago, because I know the questions to ask it, ask the, the company and, you know, the client doesn't necessarily, um, you know, insurance policies, all that kind of stuff. I just find that people feel more comfortable going through it with someone else. You know, I try to really create a safe space because money's emotional. Um, you know, people really get very, I mean, it's tied to everything in your life. So how could it not be emotional? But I don't feel like our industry necessarily acknowledges that a lot. So going through the paperwork and all that stuff together is helpful. And then my homework after the third session is plugging everything into my financial planning software. I use Money Guide Pro. Um, I've really enjoyed that program and how they approach the process. And then when I first imagined this, I imagined it would be four meetings. Um, and in the fourth meeting, I would present them, you know, the results of Money Guide Pro. And really to me, the cool thing about Money Guide Pro is it shows you the current scenario. You know, if you change nothing, here's what goes on. And then you can see a bunch of different scenarios side by side. If you retire two years later, what happens? If you save $4,000 more a year, what happens? You know, and see what moves the needle. But I don't want to come up with those ideas on my own. I want to do that collaboratively with the client. And they kind of really get into it like, oh, oh, what if we do this? And what happens if, if that, you know, what if I can do A, B, and C? Or what if I spend less on that, you know, trip that I was going to do? Um, so that's been really fun. But then I've discovered that the clients kind of need time to process that, especially the ones for whom their current scenario doesn't look very good. Um, and then we get back together and kind of come up with the strategy and the plan. And I've actually a few times, and I'm trying to do this more often, I've adopted Carl Richards, one page financial plan. He put out a book, I think last year, um, really advocating, you know, putting everything on one page and the clients I've done that for love it. They can keep it in front of them. You know, it's kind of got their, their whole, you know, motivation at the top. So it keeps, you know, the, oh, so much of financial advice is simple, but not easy. You know, spend less than you make. Okay. That's simple, <laughs> but it's not easy. So if you can keep that prime motivation right in front of you and then kind of the reminders of what you're doing and why, um, so I'm, yeah, I'm trying to do that more. Yes, there's the, the material behind it, but giving them that one page kind of cover sheet that gives the whole gist of it. 
I think is valuable. And that, you know, I've gone through the Sudden Money program, and that's one of their big um, things as well, is to have a one-page summary that the client can always point back to. Awesome. So so I think when you see that those repeated patterns across, you know, these big players who are doing really neat things in the client space, like that's definitely something to take note of. Yeah, totally. I've been wanting to do the Sudden Money program. I love that. So I think a lot of the listeners, you know, they're, they're, you're talking about – doing a lot of the, I guess you'd say the inside work of financial planning. Um, how do your clients respond to that? Like when you're sitting there talking about your values or your money history, like I, I feel like a lot of people would feel like their clients wouldn't be open to that. Yeah. You know what? I really kind of feel like I've tried to be really clear on my website and materials and how I talk about what I do that kind of, that's what you're getting. Um, so from my experience, the folks who have come to me, they're okay with it. You know what I mean? Um, you know, like I've pre, pre-screened them kind of for, for being all right with those conversations. The couple of times it hasn't gone as smoothly are the times that people came to me just because someone gave me their name, gave them my name. Um, you know, instead of really digging to see if somebody was a fit. Um, one well-meaning person that I know, business person in the area, she's really great, but you know, she had clients she was trying to send my way and they had inherited a bunch of money and they were really just all about returns. So we were trying to have a conversation and they're like, well, but what about the returns? I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> I can't promise you any returns, right? I'm not a mutual fund family. Um, so yeah, the, the folks I tend to attract kind of, you know, are into those types of conversations about being mindful, um, with a lot of parts of their life. So if I'm talking about being mindful with your money, they're all right with that. Well, and I think it's one of those where if you're comfortable with it, the client's going to be comfortable with it too. Yeah. The, the first couple that went through my program, I didn't tell them they were the first couple, but they were asking me, you know, why are we doing this? And inside I'm going, Oh my gosh, maybe this is a really bad idea. But after I explained the why and we went through it, she said, oh, I'm so glad you did it that way. That makes total sense. And I really enjoyed it. I'm like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> so I find when I've questioned my process and when I've tried to tweak it to meet what I thought was a client desire, it hasn't gone well. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm such a proponent for financial planning. And, you know, when I've talked to clients about it and really pitched it, and I know I talk on this podcast about the Fox Financial Planning Network, you know, and, and just having that really strong outline of what a financial planning process is, the clients that I've talked with are like, that's what we've been looking for, but we haven't been able to articulate it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a powerful thing is when you get you this process down, it's refreshing to clients. It's not just this weird thing that they have to do. It's, you know, these clients are refreshed by the financial planning process not just, you know, in my experience and not just, oh, it's just more meetings to go to or things that don't really matter. Like clients get yeah, it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, if I'm going to an expert, I want them to tell me what we're supposed to do. I don't want to have to know about their field and what we're supposed to do. That's their job. So same thing if someone comes to a financial planner, you know. So one of the things on your website is you talk a lot about being like, really focusing on women as a niche in financial planning. So how is that different 
I guess, than other financial planning? Or what, what, do you, what is unique about your process directly towards women? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I always laugh when people call women a niche because, you know, we're what, 51% of the population or something? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I've tried to be, you know, even narrowed down from there. But I mean, I've got some male clients. I've certainly have clients who are couples. Um, but really what I find is, you know, it's having that conversation about, about your life and about the people in your life, what you're trying to accomplish. And then we line the money stuff up to support that, you know, almost as, you know, oh yeah, that's just the stuff we do to make sure you can achieve what you want to achieve. That's not the prime motivation. In my experience, that really speaks to women and not all women, but, you know, kind of the, the couple times I've taken on a couple men as clients, you know, I've kind of ended up feeling mm, that wasn't the best fit. Um, and I'm certainly, you know, mm-mm-mm, how to say it. Um, I don't feel like the industry has served women terribly well. I heard a story early on from a woman I know who's an attorney. She's very accomplished. She had been through a horrible car accident. And after many surgeries and, you know, rehabilitation and everything, she got quite a large legal settlement. And she was interviewing financial advisors to work with. So I think she set up 10 interviews and she brought her husband along just for a second set of ears. Like six of the men, I think she interviewed one woman at the time out of 10, six of the men spoke to her husband, not her. It was her money. She made the appointment. They spoke to him. Um, and then a couple of them like had to follow the little pre-recorded slides that they had been given. And if she asked a question, they'd be like, no, no, I'm sorry. We're on slide six right now. Um, so she wasn't very turned on by that. Um, so I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, the way that a lot of folks and obviously not most of your listeners, but you know, traditionally a lot of the folks in the industry have tried to be impressive with their fancy suits and their big shiny cufflinks and their, you know, offices with wood paneling. And I think that's intimidating to a lot of women. Um, I certainly feel that to some extent there's a cultural message out there that, you know, women, uh, money, or at least investing is the man's realm. Um, so, and sometimes that's definitely enforced in families. I've heard stories from clients, you know, oh, my father told my brothers all about investing, but not me. Um, so, you know, there is still some of that out there and I just feel like, you know, I've tried to be very approachable, very open to, you know, the emotions of money, which, you know, again, the women tend to acknowledge that yes, money is emotional, um, maybe more than, than men. I don't know. I, I always feel slightly uncomfortable making broad sweeping generalizations, but you know, obviously it's not everyone, but the tendency has been that, you know, the way I talk about the money stuff has appealed to women more than men. So, and, and, you know, and just walking through your process, like you just did, I can see why, well, I can see why men and women would like it, but how it's different than the the rest of the industry, uh, which is obviously more male dominated. So do you do marketing that's targeted towards women or what does that look like on the prospect side of it? Yeah. Um, you know, because I was so terrified of sales, I, I definitely, um, you know, had a rough time trying to figure out 
how to, to bring in clients. So I've done a lot of networking with professional women's groups here in the Philadelphia area. I've met great people that way, both who became clients and also just kind of, you know, other professionals in the community who have become sources of support as well as um, sometimes referral sources. And then I've gotten more and more into public speaking where I speak at conferences and other um, events for professional women. Um, and that has been a nice way to, to meet two of my goals. One, to help all women feel more empowered about money. And then, you know, if there are a couple women in the room who need a new advisor, hey, great, right? Then, then there's my business development um, goal as well. I'm trying to do some more of, you know, putting some content out there because um, I do have clients I have one client I've never met because <laughs> she lives in Massachusetts. Um, so, you know, obviously we can serve clients anywhere anymore. So, yeah, that's kind of been my my marketing strategy so far. Looking forward, I mean, what do you see yourself continuing in this path or do you see yourself uh, making any changes to your business model? Or, I mean, what do you see looking forward for the future for you? Yeah, you know, I really, I do have kind of a grand vision. I really would like because my goal is to empower as many women as possible around money. And since there's only 168 hours in the week, I can only do so much of that in myself. And I can try to get really efficient with technology and, you know, um, with help. But I want to find other women advisors who believe in, in doing business this way and in having this kind of conversation about money so that we can serve more people. Um, I really do. I used to envision offices around the country. Now, of course, it doesn't matter where we are, right? So now I just envision a network of really cool female advisors who, you know, are inspired by helping women get, get their, you know, get their money stuff in order so that, that they can go out and do great things. Because that's really what I believe. If we can take this away as a source of worry, then women can free up their time and energy to do what's most important to them, which very often, and the statistics show it is contributing to their families and their communities, um, you know, and, and making a better world. That sounds so <laughs> pie in the sky kind of idealistic, but that's, that's kind of where I, that's where I am. Yeah, I think that's so great. One of my um, mentors, um, and I think just one of the most amazing uh, women in financial planning, Elizabeth Chaton, talks a lot about, you know, women and, and, El and I feel like a lot of what you're doing is what she talks about is how women aren't even ready to have that investment conversation yet. Yeah. Because money's so intimidating and we have to break down that wall of that intimidation and let kind of deal with those emotions and deal with those things. Um, and so I love it that your vision is so big and so, so life-changing for so many people. Yeah. Elizabeth's and, and, great. I think she's right. I mean, investing is just one small piece of the whole financial puzzle. I think you're onto something. And I think it's so cool that we are in a profession where we can have these big dreams that really, like we know will really change generations of families. Yeah. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love financial planning. I think people are crazy when they don't get into it. <laughs> and I think it's such a great career for women as well. You know, I mean, I was talking to one of my neighbors a few years ago. She had gone through a divorce she was trying to find a job and one of the insurance companies was recruiting. And I kind of, you know, I was really split because yes, getting into financial services can be a great career for women, but I kind of knew that they were just going to want her to call everyone she knew and sell them insurance. 
So, you know, finding ways for more women to, to get into the field, I really think I had a fortunate path, um, you know, being able to learn on the job and not be in a selling position. I, I hope that we evolve where there's more entry points like that and more efforts to, to get women on board. So what would be your advice for the advisor or the woman who is listening to this podcast and either wants to get into financial planning or is at their first job and just it's not really resonating well and they would love to kind of what you're doing is specializing in working with women. What advice would you have for them? Oh, I think, you know, the, the advice always has to be the first point is learn as much as you can, you know, appreciate where you are for learning not just the substance of the work and the content, but also observing others around you and seeing how they interact with clients, you know, what their processes are and just taking your own notes like, oh, this is what I might do differently. Or I wonder, you know, you know, if, if they tweaked this, if they would have a different effect um, or where, what are they good at? You know, there, there are folks I've seen who are excellent storytellers, you know, and, and stories could be so powerful working with clients, you know. So I've tried to learn that from them. I think that's an important point. And then uh, getting out and meeting as many people as you can in the industry, because there certainly are folks out there doing, um, you know, more of the life planning and um, having the kind of focus that, you know, that we believe we all should. Um, they're out there, you know, so trying to connect with them and with social media and blogs now and podcasts, it's probably easier than it would have been when I had started to try to find those folks and connect with them. I'm somewhat limited because my only financial services industry experience has been with this firm. So even though I've kind of, you know, changed it along the way, I haven't worked at a lot of other places. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of... <laughs> tips on, you know, changing firms and, and looking for new positions. Well, and what I think is so great about your story is you really found what was the right fit for you and then stepped out in that rather than trying to find a system that worked for somebody else. Yeah, that's been big. I mean, it certainly, you know, it took, <laughs> it took some courage and it took working with yet another coach to kind of get me off of my, um, of my chair and, and get out there and, you know, put myself out in the world that way. But I'm certainly glad I did. Thanks for listening to your financial planner. Now what? Please feel free to give us a tweet, poke review or an email and let us know how we're doing. And stay tuned for next week's episode. We'll be bringing you the audio from our latest live seminar on virtual planning. See you next week.